Good morning, girls. I think it's the 28th of February 2007, uh, Wednesday. I just want to share what the Lord showed me this morning through dear David, who came round yesterday, and I'm always picking his brains at the slightest opportunity. But this particular one is something that I want to address at some stage, and it's about covenants, blood covenants, and what it means to be in covenant with, with someone, and what God actually meant when, he, when covenants were instituted. But the bit that caught my eye was the first step in a covenant was that the two people concerned would take their cloaks off and exchange their garments which would mean they were giving their whole selves. What did Jesus give us an exchange of? Robe of righteousness for our rubbish. He gave us his whole self. Uh -huh. The next thing they would do would be to take off their belt upon which was carried their weapons. And they would give their shield over. You can see this when you see David and Jonathan cutting a covenant together and becoming one soul and really being together. I mean, I've only just looked at this briefly this morning, but it just blessed my socks off. So they would give their shield to the other person. What did God say to Abraham when he cut an unconditional covenant because he put Abraham to sleep? He said, I am your shield, Abraham, and your exceeding great reward. And I suddenly saw a shield, a big semicircular shield, right round in front of me. And I was immediately taken to Psalm 91. Nothing can come at you because the shield of God is around you. And if he allows it to come at you, it's because it's going to do some good for you. You are shielded by the God of Abraham. And the reason he's called the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is he made three specific covenants with each one of those people. He made a covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So covenants are important and he made a covenant with us when we believed on the blood of Jesus for our salvation. He gave us his complete self. He didn't hold anything back. He gave us all of himself trouble is with us we say you can have a little finger the rest of it's mine you can have 10 percent have a fingernail and this is the whole problem i believe with the western churches we don't know the exchange that has taken place we don't know the exchange that's taken place our rubbish for his robe of righteousness we say that i'm covered over with a robe of righteousness but we don't know where it fits so you've got to look, as David would say, to the Hebrew to find out why and what the significance is. So it wasn't the message that I was going to give this morning. I don't know what the message is really, but we really need to determine to give our whole selves to him and not just a part of ourselves. It's like the okey-cokey, put your whole self in. Because he can't do much with just an ear or a foot just your whole self because that's what he's given of himself he withheld nothing of himself and he doesn't ask us to give our whole selves it's voluntary we put ourselves on the altar of sacrifice if we choose present your bodies therefore as living sacrifices holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of service. Now you understand why Paul said that. You give your whole self. If we ever look at the tabernacle, we'll see you come first to the altar and the labor of washing, and then you start going into the holy place and the most holy place. It's all a progress and a process. And as you get, I just felt so covered by God this morning, I could not believe it. Some years ago, here in this house, I was woken up in the night by an audible voice. And the Lord is saying, I can tell you this. And the voice said, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. And it said it twice. And I never understood what it meant until this morning. <laughs> 
He is my shield. I don't have to. That's why God said to Moses, the Lord will fight for you and you will hold your peace. Because he's your shield. You don't have to fight your own corner. There are times when you do have to speak up because he calls you. If you're not um, very assertive, he will cause you to speak. But he will speak the words he gives you, not the stuff that comes out your unregenerate nature. So when he says, I'm your shield and your exceeding great reward, and he says in Psalm 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, you stay behind that shield. But if you should decide to go off and do your own thing, guess what? You're out from cover. I had two ladies yesterday, both of whom, one was straining to get out from undercover because she wanted to please the church. And the other one had um, wandered off and knew she was in the wilderness. I said, the good thing about it is that Jesus is there with you. But it doesn't matter how far you travel in the wrong direction, you won't reach your destination. So, sweetheart, the way back is retrace your steps. Get back on the road. And then it'll be okay. But it'll just go on getting worse because I felt that the, the picture I was getting was that she was like Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, he, as we said on Saturday, he just he just got as qu as close as he could get to where the action was without actually getting involved in it. And yet he was described as righteous Lot. He was described as righteous Lot because he had the robe of righteousness given to him by God because he believed. It wasn't actually that he was particularly righteous. He had a robe of righteousness imputed to him. Okay, um, we've been talking a little bit off, off camera, as it were, about a time and establishing priorities. And for some reason or other yesterday, I just picked up the word for today. And I don't look at it very often, hidden away in the corner there. Um, but for today, it's headed up establishing priorities. And it made me think that as I'm going through the Passing the Baton series, the word's going to get stronger. Because as I'm doing the um, working now on the New Age stuff and everything that springs off of that tree... And the deception that is about, and it spills into the church, um, the word's going to get stronger. Because it, it's going to. Because I start you off on the milk and I bring you very quickly into the meat. Did I hear someone come in? You did. Oh, good. So here we are, Wednesday, the 28th of February, establishing priorities. Make every minute count. Ephesians 5, 16 that's the CEV, whatever that is. Don't know what that is. Pastor Adrian Rogers says, The misuse of anything as precious as time should be a crime. If somebody steals your car, you can acquire another. If they snatch your wallet, a few phone calls would salvage the majority of your concerns. But who can you call when you lose time? Solomon reminds us, We must give an account to God for everything we do. Ecclesiastes 11.9 Because for most of us, one of these days generally means none of these days. How you spend your days is how you spend your life. So Paul writes, make every minute count. To do that successfully, you must A. Learn to say no. Stress is what happens when your gut says no, but your mouth says yes. I'll just let you think about that one. Because that's what we do, don't we? Come to the early morning prayer meeting. Yes, yes. Oh. Heart sinks because early morning is not your time. Jesus said, I have finished the work you have given me to do. John 17, 4. Because there's always time to do what God wants done. I've had a prophecy recently from young Kate. And in it she said, God's bringing you into a new season. But there's going to be time. He's going to give you time to do what you need to do. And this was why I needed a laptop. Is, is she coming in, do you know? No. Um, this is why I needed a laptop, because I can't afford to waste time. 
I need to make every second count. The last thing I do at night is to is to speak the word of God. And the first thing I do in the morning is to do the same thing when I wake up. Because my whole time is, is spent studying what I'm going to feed you guys next. Um, so when you've got a goal in your life, you go for it. Um, so Jesus said, oh, I'll go back so that you can hear this, Sarah. You'll like this one. Um, how you spend your days is how you spend your life. Make every minute count. To do that successfully, you must A, learn to say no. Stress is what happens when your gut says no, but your mouth says yes. <laughs> Jesus said, I've finished the work you've given me to do. Because there's always time to do what God wants done. Notice Paul said, one thing I do, not 50 different things I'm caught up with. Don't let the good steal the best. Back off on some activities so you can embrace others. Walk in the power of the Spirit. Jesus said, you cannot be fruitful apart from me. And that comes back to what I was saying this morning about uh, the covenant that God's got us in and being behind that shield uh, but come out from behind that shield and you cannot be fruitful. You can only do it as you abide in the vine. You can't do it by walking off across a car park on your own. Because by walking in the flesh you burn the wick and not the oil. Paul says when you're guided by the spirit you won't obey selfish desires. Avoid procrastination. I do wish Sue had been here this morning because this is a message for her. Sue, this is a message for you. We joke about it, but there's nothing funny about delayed obedience. James says, if you don't do what you know is right, you've sinned. James 4.17 A real mark of maturity is doing what you don't feel like doing when you don't feel like doing it. Which is most... Is a contemporary English version. Ah, oh, I couldn't think of it. Thank you. Contemporary English version. We've lost Gina as well. Does anybody know where she's? She's. Yeah, I wonder. Thought there was something there. This morning. There we are. We'll sort that later. Thank you, Lord. Mm. So, the message is time again. It's the only commodity we've got. Don't waste it. Fritter it. Spend it. Make sure that you establish your priorities. Sue and I were actually talking about this uh, the other day because um, she doesn't have time to um, get time with the Lord. So she was getting up early in the morning, being exhausted, um, not being able to take anything in because she was not wired up. She was exhausted. And I said to her, darling, go to bed, get a good night's sleep. God has not called you to get up at five o'clock in the morning. But tomorrow, get yourself a little chart and see how much time you waste. How much time do you spend talking? Just talking when you should actually be doing something. Or when you could be talking to the Lord. So if she charted this out, she could see where she wasted her time. Um, and immediately she said, I think I'll probably spend too much time at the school gate. See, there you are. Save 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. And you'll find that you've got enough time because God gave us enough time. It's how we spend it that is so important. Um, sorry? Uh, answer to prayer. So the thing I was saying to Sue was really that she needs to, to log what she's doing. We all need to do it because otherwise we will we'll find that we are, you know, we are wasting time. And chatting, you know, how long do you spend on the phone? Just talking things over. People spend an hour on the phone and I'm thinking, what are they doing? What are they talking about? What is it? What is it? It's a waste of time. You can't get that time back. I felt almost frantic just now when I prayed because I thought, God, your people do not realise the shortness of the hour. They have absolutely no awareness 
of the, of what Satan is doing and how they are going to be unprepared if they're not sharp and ready soldiers. Do you remember last week how it was? I felt it was a tease um, that we were like an army, and you know our army stands at ease. And 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 young Janet actually stood in the position where she was uh, up at lunchtime, like a a soldier that's been told to get at ease. I just don't know where to start really to impress upon people time is the only commodity you have got the only thing worth putting your life into is Jesus and forget everything else because everything else will flow out of that half-hearted you see we are we give him half of everything and if he's lucky as I said a little 10% you can have me for a little finger he's given us everything his covenant, his commitment to us is a hundred percent. That's what the little bit that I was saying about covenants was this morning. He has given us everything, exchanged clothes. He's given us a robe of righteousness. We've given him our old filthy rags. Some exchange. He has promised his weaponry is our weaponry. His shield is our shield because we've exchanged weapons. I had a pea shooter, which I've given to him. An exchange, I've got a sword and a shield. And I thought, when I was reading this about covenants, I wonder if I'm going to get onto some <laughs> whatever we're on this morning. When I was reading this about covenants, I thought, this is the key to living in Ephesians seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, understanding where we are. It's the key to understanding what the transaction was that went at the cross, that he actually gave us, and it's a very well-guarded secret. We think, oh well, I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to heaven when I die, and in the meanwhile... I just managed to get through here and then, whew, thank goodness for that. It's not that at all. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. As I've said before, there's rewards in this thing. It's just, it's incredibly amazing. And right now, the choices that we are making, as that word from Chris Larkin, beginning of last year, that even the simplest little choices are going to be pivotal in what God can bring us into and trust us with. I'm not talking about attending meetings, going to church on Sundays. I'm not talking about that which, which we have hitherto believed to be what our portion is, because it isn't. I was talking to Kathy last night, Kathy Stewart, some of you know her. God has been talking to her for I don't know how long about coming out of church because she's got Mount Moriah Trust to actually run and that is going to take all of her time. Now because the Reverend John Anglis is on her trustees and he is also her pastor, she's faffed around this thing for about a year. Well, anybody who's at got any sense at all knows that if you don't do it right away it carries interest if you don't face what God has asked you to do and do it then it gets very much harder to do it a bit later on the rose is very difficult so I think first go off she went to him and she said I've got to come off the church cleaning rotor or words to that effect and then she mumbled something to the effect that um, she felt that she needed to withdraw from church a bit so she did that but while she's been in Australia God has really spoken to her about telling him that she is not going to go to his assembly anymore so she went saw him yesterday oh says he I got the scripture this morning do not forsake the meeting of yourselves together I said he ain't prayed about it then so she said oh yes he has he said he has he has I said well He's prayed about it all right, but got the scripture he wanted, which is, do not forsake the making it, meeting of yourselves together. I said, because that's the one they always parrot out. My one is, don't say it like that, but I'll say it nicely. Who's your cover? 
So I said, you've got, you got one you're going to have to wrestle with right the way through, and yours is this one. Who are you going to obey, him or God? Oh, well, it's made me think now. I wonder whether God did say that. And he said, just pop in now and again. I said, that's partial obedience, Kathy. I'm nearly tearing my own going up backwards by this time. Partial obedience, Kathy. If God's told you to come out, dear, come out. Because he cannot release what he wants to do through Mount Moriah until you're obedient. That's what it is. You're like a cork in the bottle. Until you're obedient to what God wants to do, the cork won't pop out and pour out what he wants to pour out because he won't pour it through a half open bottle. Anyway, we talked this through. As I say, I was trying very hard to keep calm. I kept saying to her, God is doing a new thing, dear, and it's not his church because I'd happened to walk outside there and on the way to the kitchen to, to have a meal last night, I saw Derek Prince's letter on Christian character and he starts it off by saying, uh, Birmingham's a big city and there are many different churches in Birmingham, but I'm absolutely convinced that God only sees one church. Thank you. He only sees one soul, actually, because we are his bride. He doesn't see hundreds of thousands of souls. When he talks about the bride, he sees one soul, one person, which is the corporate church. It's man and the devil that have split it up into denominations and stuck it in concrete. I tell you, I just sense in my spirit that the Lion of Judah is roaring over his church and taking her back. He's taking her back because we have made such a pig's ear hole of it. And when you get things like this, when Kathy has been called to do a specific work, for God's people, the Jews, Messianic, Messianic believers, opposition from man. I said, sweetheart, you're not going to get his approval, so stop trying to get it. And she argued that she wasn't trying to get approval, but of course she was. What she wanted was to be able to do what God has told her and get a tick in the box from her pastor. Doesn't work like that. I don't know why leadership do not seek the Lord. I only know they don't. Because I've said time and again to the Lord, if he'd prayed about it, you would have said Beryl's okay. If they'd prayed about it, they would know. But they don't ask. They make their own judgment. Who's your cover? Who are you answerable to? Kathy said the same thing as I did. I'm answerable to God. That's not good enough for them. Oh no. Because they have built in the West this hierarchy where you have to get the ticks in the boxes to be accepted by man. That's okay. I don't have, I, I don't have a problem with it. I said he'd have a pink fit if he knew I was teaching because he doesn't agree with women teaching. It's his problem actually, not mine. God's called me to teach, so I'm teaching. And, I said, what about Joyce Mayer? Oh, well, about Joyce Mayer. Another kettle of fish, she's American, that's different, you know. <laughs> but I tell you, men get hold of, this is why looking at the scriptures from the Hebrew viewpoint is absolutely imperative. Because we've got a westernised view of it. So, I mean, one little thing that David said, which blessed my socks off. You know where in one of the Gospels, it says that they sought to... Um, st stone Jesus for what he'd said they took up stones it says to stone him actually they did nothing of the sort it's a Hebrew idiom for as the western people cowboys might say on your horse we don't receive you on your horse or we would say on your bike not listening to that that's what they were doing but we read it and we think, he said, because they didn't have authority to stone him. They had to go to Pilate to make sure they could get him. Because they didn't have authority. They weren't trying to stone him. They were saying, forget it. Not listening to you. It's like as if we would say, it's raining cats and dogs. A foreigner would think, I see no cats and dogs coming down. It's an idiom. 
And unless we understand, it's like understanding about, so I started off with this morning about covenants. Unless we understand about covenants, we don't know what we've got. We try to interpret it from um, an English westernized uh, viewpoint, from the Greek mindset, and we miss what it's actually saying. And it's, as I said, that, that, that I'm your shield and your exceeding great reward, it's always, I've not understood at all what that meant until this morning when I saw that in covenants. And then I, you literally, because you've made a covenant, you've handed me yourself as a shield. Totally just exploded within me, that did. I thought, that is something else again. So, I expect I shall be going the way of David, though I don't suppose I'll be using the words like Torah and all the sort of things he uses, because I get confused with that. I have to say the law and the letter of the law or whatever. God will give me to explain it. But he said, uh, when we were chatting yesterday, when God cut that covenant with Abraham and when Moses went and got the tablets from the mount, that was the custom in countries around them. The king would write his, his rules for living in my kingdom. So if you live with the Sidonians, the king would say, these are the rules you've got to keep if you're going to live in my kingdom. It wasn't something new. It wasn't strange to Moses that he should do that. But to us, we think, wow. It was common practice. So was covenants. Common practice. Absolutely amazing. But to us in the West, we think these are two things that suddenly... Completely new, completely different. No, that was the way the world went on in those days. Made covenants, made treaties with one another. Okay, let's try and get into uh, wherever we are with the Psalms. I'm going to try and polish off Psalm 131 this morning and shift into Psalm 132. Interestingly, um, Anne was saying when she came in that she was listening to a tape on humility yesterday. What number was it of Rogers? Right. What's it headed up? It's headed up humility. Oh. Right. And she was making the point that to be humble is actually have the props knocked away. Um, it means that, as I've often said, you know, if you're relying on your pension and things like that, God will knock away the props because he wants to be... He wants to be everything for you. He is the all-sufficient one. And he wants to be that for you. So gradually he will knock away the props. And just let them go. That's the easiest way. <coughs> so we were just looking, I think, last week at, at the tail end of humility. I hope I'm not frightening the life out of you. <laughs> I tell you, I'm keeping it low-key. I've got a fire burning in me this morning. Ah, oh dear, I'd be like Roger Price. I should go on the beach and preach to the seagulls. Ah, <laughs> oh, do you know that teach means to preach? There we are. So, we're just looking at the tail end of it, really. And the humble are those who are obedient to God and depend on him. And this leads to blessing. And what's humility? John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he may increase. In other words, John is saying, I must be made low that he may be made higher. And I heard someone not so long ago say, no, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's right. I don't think that we should be um, bringing ourselves low. And I thought, you're missing it, sunshine. You just missed it. You're not fat, you're fluffy as Telsa would say. Here we go. Humility, T.S. Eliot said, humility is simply surrendering one's whole self to God. <coughs> he also said something else that's very pro profound. He said, Christianity is a condition of complete simplicity, costing not less 
than everything. Do you want that repeated? Christianity is a condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything. Humility is being captivated by the vision that God is all in all. He is everything. And I think probably this is the nub of why I have so much difficulty with the sort of gospel that we proclaim these days. We don't proclaim Jesus as Lord, we proclaim him as Saviour. So many, many, many people come into Christianity receiving him as saviour. But the real battle starts when he wants to be Lord. Ahem, ahem. Because they're never told that when he comes, he comes to take over. And that is the most delightful place to be because you suddenly have someone who is absolutely in control of everything, will never let you go, can be totally relied upon, never changes because he's immutable, knows everything because he's omniscient, is that it? Is all-powerful because he's omnipotent. And he knows exactly what your next thought is because he is omnipresent. One of the scary things I found out was I couldn't have a secret thought but it's brilliant now I don't want one and actually over the last 24 hours I found myself a bit like uh, Graham Cook said he said I can't have thoughts that I had last week I can't have this week and uh, last night I was having a little think and I thought no I'm not going there I am not thinking that I am not thinking that thought it's not going to be good for me if you pursue thoughts of how you view someone else let's say they've upset you so you start thinking about you know well I could have said this and I could have done that and what how did they you know the old usual where the, the unrenewed mind goes down the trail of you can really damage yourself because what you're doing is ministering death to yourself all the time while you're thinking that way and if you're talking to someone and you're working out what you're going to say to them next, that's your unrenewed mind coming into operation. That takes some controlling. People look at me and they say, I know what you're thinking. No, they don't because I'm not thinking anything. I'm waiting for the Lord to tell me what his viewpoint is. But I've had many, many years of training in that because I sit in the corner and I listen. So I'm not judging anything that comes towards me. I don't judge people. Um... I'm wanting to come to the place where the judgments I judge are righteous judgments, where I have the mind of Christ on things. That doesn't mean that I will not correct and I will not draw attention and, I, and, and given the authority from God, I'll draw a line and I'll say that is far enough. Which is exactly what I had to do last week. I was surprised at how strongly I came on to a certain person telling them to... Uh, if their leadership wanted to see them, you must have done something wrong. I suggest you go and find out what it is you've done. Because I was not going to get to be party to whatever was going on. Because I knew uh, that things were not as they should be. But you have to wait until God releases you into saying anything. Sometimes he doesn't. You don't say it, you pray it. There are many, many times that I don't say anything, I pray it. Because to say it would be counterproductive, it would be misrepresented, misunderstood, and it wouldn't achieve what God wants to achieve. And he says, my word will not return to me void, but will accomplish everything I purpose. So, for particularly prophetic people, am I saying this or praying it, Father? So it's always that prophetic are like the bet that nestles against the Aleph. The Aleph is silent, and that, that represents God the Father. And the Bet nestles against that, hearing what God the Father is saying. And it's an, it is a voice, it is a mouthpiece. Jesus is the visible member of the Godhead. Jesus is the only one we see. You saw him in the Old Testament. I said, oh, I spoke to David about Melchizedek. 
because somebody asked me about Melchizedek and I said my view has always been that that was a Christophany that was that was Jesus without beginning without end uh, and I said to David what about Melchizedek then and he said well it's Jesus wasn't it I said yes <laughs> the fact that he brought bread and wine uh, what do we do when we take communion bread and wine see you can trace it right the way through the Bible and Abraham gave him a tenth he gave him a part of his spoils and Melchizedek received it Though, and he was king of Salem Jerusalem without beginning without end without genealogy who do we know that's like that without Alpha and Omega ah oh going to tell you another bit which absolutely just about some of you will know the scripture in there's a scripture in Isaiah where he's where Jesus treads the rhyme wine press of the wrath of almighty God and his robe is dipped in blood if you fast forward to revelation you see the same thing that his robe is dipped in blood David said to me the high priest wore the fancy garments all of the year except for the day of atonement when he wore a white garment and guess what happened to the hem of his garment soaked the blood up didn't it so when Jesus says I've trodden the winepress alone it's the same thing as scripture in Revelation where he's in the robe of the high priest it's his high priestly role being reflected there I mean when you look at it like this, the inerrancy of scripture is without question. No good someone saying to me that was Paul's opinion. Well, you might want to stand before Jesus and tell him that a bit later on. It's a favourite in the Anglican church, that is. Oh, well, that was Paul's opinion and he wasn't married. And in any case, we don't know whether he was married. And, all, and I think for crying out loud. But that's where they'll go, you know. Sorry about that, Lord. Get back to the script. So humility is being captivated by the vision that God is all in all. He is everything. And humility is putting your whole trust in the grace of God rather than relying on your own strength. Cursed is the man who relies on the arm of man. It's in Isaiah, isn't it? He says you're cursed if you rely on the strength of man. If you put your strength in horses, uh, cursed humility is a total trust in God in all meaning value and purpose and humility comes from a sense of awe of God in recognition that he is a creator of heaven and earth when we give ourselves back to him we are only giving him what actually belongs to him because of the fall we have lost the fact that we are created we live and move and have our being because he gives us life and breath we have no rights we are like a dolly that you've got in a pram little girl has a dolly in a pram that little dolly belongs to her and she does with it as she chooses but we have totally lost the fact that we belong to him and we reserve the right to do with our lives as we think fit we don't put it like that but every time we withhold from him that is actually what is happening well and it's the fall isn't it you don't have a god in you you are one you can make the decision you'll be able to tell he's withholding something from you you'll be able to tell when we go into the new age stuff we'll, you'll see how this is carried right on through because new age belief is that god is a, that man is actually god that he is divine and he only has to have enough information to bring him out of ignorance into the place of divinity what did the Romans do they made gods what did Herod say before he was what's it with worms he, he's, he got lifted up to the point where he thought he was a god and God sent worms that his innards fell out very nasty in acts it's not new in Babylon, that's what happened with Samarimus and uh, Nimrod. Nimrod got killed. It is suspected that he was killed by Shem, one of Noah's sons, because Nimrod was such a rebel. 
It says he's a mighty hunter before the Lord, but in actual fact the word is rebel before the Lord. He was just so anti-God it wasn't true. And it is thought that Shem did for him. Now Samarimus and Nimrod were sort of, if you like, king and queen of Babylon. So she ain't going to sit down under this. So she evolves this little story that he actually came back to life again. Uh, and that she got pregnant and Tammuz was the result. And you'll see in Ezekiel, I think it is, where they're bowing down to make cakes to the Queen of Heaven. Cakes with a T on it. What do we do at Easter time? Buns with a T on it. Hot cross buns. This is why I've got this thing about Christmas, because I know where it goes back to. So Easter is the feast of Astarte. You don't want to know all this. And Astarte was a Babylonian goddess, and it all came out of Samarimus and Tammuz and Nimrod. And he came back to life, oh, who did that? And it started the mother-son worship. And it goes right the way through all the um, idolatries and worships around the, uh, around the globe. That's why Christmas is universal. You've even got it in China. And it's not Jesus. Mother-son, mother-son, mother-son. Uh, it's called the two Babylons. Um, but Babylon was a seat of where all the deception really started. Um, and it really came into flower. And it's flowering again in the New Age movement, as you will see it. Uh, they are awaiting a Christ. Very dangerous to talk to New Agers about Christ because they're expecting him coming as well. But it's not the same one. There's this anti-Christ other than. So you have to be very careful of what... Um, language you use with people who are coming out of, of that. that Islam is expecting someone coming they're all expecting someone coming because Antichrist is preparing the way Satan's preparing the way for the one that he's going to bring we need to be aware of what, what the, the general thought processes are out there in the world because when you get to know these things you can see why it's wrong for us to be into alternative medicines all this stuff Alternative therapies, it's wrong for us because it grows off of that tree. It grows off the Babylonian tree. It's a branch. And alternative medicines is a branch off the New Age tree. That's what I found when I started looking at it. And I found I couldn't go just into new medicines. I had to look at the whole of the thing that it was growing on. Because otherwise I'd just bring you a branch and you'd say, well, where's it grow from? Well, it grows off this tree. Very, very, very interesting stuff. So, going all over the place this morning. <laughs> the Imam, I think. Mm. I've got it all down over there. Yeah, yeah. Matreya is another one. There was people, some, uh, but of course, all roads lead to God. This is where you get the the movement that it, the one faith. Because if we're all waiting for the same, well, why don't we just agree? We're all waiting for the same person to come. So you get multi-faith. It opens it up, doesn't it? Well, we're not out of agreement with one another. You're waiting for Christ, so am I. This is why I always say, you would never get a demon to shift in the name of Christ. You get him to shift in the name of Jesus. Christ just means anointed one. So it's no good using the name of Christ. I flinch every time I hear it, and it's a very Anglican thing. And uh, it's, it's not. It's, it, Jesus is the name. Yeshua, Messiah, Hamashiach, just Jesus, Saviour. Jesus' name, Jesus means Saviour. So, yeah. Dangerous days we're in. We need to be informed, not so that we can bash anybody over the head, but so that when we're listening, we can discern where they're coming from. You can hear what they're saying. You can understand and hear what they believe. You listen to Christians, you can hear what they believe by what they say. Oh, I don't know about that. No, I wouldn't be categorical about that. I'd say, well, I don't think they're safe. Oh, no, I don't think I, I don't, I can't be categorical about that. I'd say, well, I can, because I can tell. <laughs> you're born again or you're not. Do you know what I mean? We're so scared of actually making a decision. We'll, we'll eat, swallow anything. This is one of the problems that happened with us recently. You know, 
I should have prayed when I sniffed I didn't like the first time I met a certain person. They didn't like it. Uh, there's something not right here. But I tried to be loving and open and just get my just let me look at this first. Stand back, impartial, objective, see what's going on. And soon it all began to roll in because God is so kind. He gives me all the bits so I get the whole picture. And uh, when the time was right, if I may say, he sprung the trap. <laughs> Orchestrated. Anyway, there we are. So humility comes from a sense of awing God in recognition that he is the creator of heaven and earth. Humility is nothing more than who God is and who I am and what my relationship with him is dependent on, and namely who he is. He is the creator, and the heavens declare his glory. Who am I? I'm God's creation. And what is the basis that I have a relationship with him is by his grace. And it's that sense of awe and wonder of God that is the root of humility, and incidentally, it's the beginning of wisdom as well. Because it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. You won't walk in presumption if you have a good, solid fear of the Lord. And we need to have a fear of the Lord. Not, not that he's going to chop your head off or you're going to get it wrong. It's not that sort of fear. It is the awe of the created towards the creator. I think an apple pie would have quite a bit of awe towards me if it had a soul. Because I would say, I've made you, watch your step. My libel to eat you. <laughs> I always have to bring it down to something I can understand. <laughs> so it's who's who. Humility is a recognition and a response between who God is and who we are. And that rec recognition results in right conduct from us. Because we won't be presumptuous. We won't be rude. We will be respectful and loving. We will love him and we will be respectful to him. Because we've got, it's like a paradox. I can come any way I like. Because his door is always open for me to come. And I can say anything I like. And yet I have to be careful what I say. Says in Ecclesiastes, keep your foot when you go into the, heart, into the house of the Lord. Don't be hasty to make vows. Because he hears it. So right conduct results in right actions, right way of life, so that God's glorified in everything. So it's being in right relationship with God. And the supreme example of this is Jesus. And of course the key text in the New Testament is Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Who thought it not robbery. So the way of humility is the way of the low gate. It's the downward way. And if you and I are to be like Jesus, we've got to imitate him. And that is what humility is all about. It's imitating Jesus. And Paul says, doesn't he, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We have to empty ourselves. The natural man wants to exalt himself. Humility does not exalt a person. Humility says that God has the right to decide and I have the responsibility to obey him. I cannot tell you the grief it causes me when people, when Christians don't obey what God says. It hurts me. Oh, God said I've got to do so and so, so and so. When did he say that? Oh, about 10 years ago. And I think, it just hurts. Because I say, if your boss at work said to you to do that, you'll go and do it right away. But your loving creator, who has everything for you, asks you to do something. You argue with him, you procrastinate, you put it off, you half do it. I don't understand what sort of thinking is behind that. I don't understand it. And it actually hurts. It hurts. Because I believe the Spirit of God is grieved. You can grieve the Spirit. You can quench the Spirit. He, ha he has feelings. 
we can quench him in ourselves he gives us a word we don't want to give it why don't we want to give it because we're self-conscious got to get self out of the way and move in what he wants us to do he has me make a right idiot of myself but I really couldn't give it what's rip Graham would say I don't give a rip I think that's probably quite forceful when he says it I don't give a rip he says The way to spiritual greatness is humility and the way to spiritual ineffectiveness is pride. Pride says I will, humility says God's will be done. To enter Jesus' kingdom you have to be poor in spirit. We have to humble ourselves and come in through the low gate. We have to become childlike, not childish. Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you're not going to enter my kingdom. doesn't mean you're not going to be saved. It means you're not going to come into your inheritance. And I've already begun to look forward to, to no, I don't mean look forward in terms of uh, anticipating it. I'm looking forward in terms of studying for it. <laughs> the summer school. Uh, and I think it's going to be about possessing the land. It's going to be about coming into our inheritance and knowing what our inheritance is and knowing what it is that can cause us to lose that inheritance. We don't lose our salvation, but we can lose our inheritance. We can lose rewards, as we've seen. And I think it's important that we need to see what it is that we're getting and why it is that we need to m have some idea of how to get it and it's all to do with renewal renewing of your mind and the way that you think and not allowing this thing to go off down rabbit trails right left and center it's got to get the control over it i was speaking to someone the other day i can't remember who it was oh they said my mind goes i said you've got to tell it to shut up that was stephen my son he said woke up in the night and his mind started going i said tell the thing to shut up dear Tell it to shut up and you're going to sleep and you'll find that it will. <laughs> you just have to get with it. I mean, uh, in the night, there have been things going on one way and another here. And I'd wake up about two o'clock and if, off it would kick. And I'd say, I'm not going there. So the next thing would come up. No, I'm not going there. And, and I, an hour and a half later, I'd probably get some control over it. And eventually, in the end, I said, shut up. I'm going to sleep. And I went to sleep. Anybody else have that trouble in the middle of the night? Yes, active or what? No, that's good. That's good. Brilliant. Brilliant. That, uh, yeah. Yes, that's brilliant. My trouble is if I've been ministering late at night and so I've, there is an adrenaline that goes with ministering late at night because you're listening to the Lord, you're sharp and you're ready to run around the block if you had legs that would do it, you know. And so I go to bed and everything's on red alert. You <laughs> know, try to calm it down. Hmm. Oh, oh, I wouldn't have thought of that. It's a cocoa and get horizontal is fine. <laughs> Do some morning is being suggested. Oh dear. So a child is dependent on its parents and we're dependent on the salvation that our father provided. And Jesus said, if you want to become great in my kingdom, become the least. So what are the characteristics, I'll finish with this, of being childlike that God's looking for in us? Smith Wigglesworth described it as absolute cling. Absolute, absolute cling. Cling. Hanging on. Cling. Absolute cling. I'm not letting you go. Full trust and total dependency. That's the first one. And the second one is openness and sincerity before him. No pride. Recognize who you are with regard to him. The number of times I used to say, and I don't doubt I will say it again, is, Lord, I come with all the sincerity I can muster, which means it ain't very much. But that would be the bit I could give him, you know, when I was upset about something and, and I was trying to be as honest as I could. 
because um, if you listen to Roger Price, you'll know what, where the word sincere comes from. In the in the days when they made pots, the Greeks made pots. If there was a crack in the pot, they would fill it with wax, so that it looked as if it was perfect. But then, if it got in the sun, the wax would melt. And sincere means without wax, without hiding your cracks, without hiding the bits of yourself that you actually don't want him or anybody else to see. So sincere is without wax. Be without hypocrisy. How many people do you know that play act? Joyce Meyer did a series on Christian Christian hypo, hip, Christian hypocrites, and she'd got this um, the masks. You know the two masks that that what was it? The Greeks had the masks when they were doing their um, a happy one and a sad one. They used to hold in front of their faces. Theatre. Yes. Yes. Uh, and it, it, it's uh, coming to him without those masks coming to him because you, he knows anyway that is what the beautiful thing about it is no good us trying to pretend we're anything he knows and it is like the, the story of um, Punchinello when the Eli looks at him he says my you've had some knocks I tried so hard Eli you don't have to justify yourself to me, child. <laughs> it's just so lovely. I made you. And he puts him up on the bench and looks him over and says, My, you've had some scratches and some knocks, you know. But that's okay. It's going to be all right. <coughs> it's just so lovely because you can be real with him. If there's nobody else in the world you can be utterly real with, it can be real, and it is such a place of peace and relaxation. You can let it all hang out, because he knows exactly how you were built, exactly what is put in you, and he just puts his head alongside yours and says to you, I love you anyway. At which point the tears start to roll. <laughs> I have been given the desire of my heart this morning. I have not yet got it in my paw. We're going over to Frinton tomorrow and I suddenly remembered, twig, twig, that young Kate's got a laptop. So I rang her up and said, any chance of borrowing it while I'm over there because I can't bear to go anywhere if I'm not working. I think I'm a workaholic, I'm not sure. It's getting worse. Got to be studying, got to be working, got to be talking to the Lord 24-7. His ears must be ringing with it. Tune in, tune in, here comes Beryl. Oh, leave it on the station, she's always coming in. <laughs> And um, I rang her up and said, can I, can I borrow it while I'm over there? And, you know, just for the couple of days. Yeah, 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 no problem. She said, collect it when you come in. Ten o'clock this morning, I'm there having my breakfast, shoveling it in. And she rang and she said, uh, I'm on the hoof. I could hear she was all of a puff. I just wanted to let you know that Aaron and I prayed last night and God's told us to give you the laptop so you can have it when you come over. I could have burst into tears. I have had such a desire for a laptop. I know I need it. It's not something that I n want. I need it so that I can I can work up there. I can work anywhere if I've got a laptop. Then I can get one of these sticks, can't I? And then I might get a PowerPoint, mightn't I? <laughs> I have to learn about these things. Overhead projector, eat your heart out. <laughs> I mean, I could have cried. Yeah, you push it in. Yeah, that's it, a little stick. And a what? Oh, a gizmo. No, I don't think so. It's like a gizmo, dear. Yes, yes, definitely. That's right, and it, June, it's a gizmo. Yeah. Oh, it is a dongle. I need a stick. Yes. Will it have its own stick, June? Will it have its own stick or will I have to buy it a stick? I have to buy it a stick. Tim said to me, he had one out when he put my computer in, he held this thing in his hand, he said, you won't want one of those unless you're, you don't go around plugging into other people's computers, do you? I said, no. Well, I didn't at that time. Ah. A bagatelle. 
cheaper than that. Right, tell me how I can get one of those then, yeah. Lovely. Sorry, sorry? Turns out big, but I want my stick, yeah. A little stick, a little stick. Yeah, marvellous. I've suddenly leapt into the 21st century. Oh, I just so, I was just so excited. I just, I could have cried. I thought, Father, you are so kind. You've set me to, he never tells you to do something without giving you the tools to do it. Because I'm thinking, if I saved really hard, I could get myself a laptop. But I've just, Stephen and Michelle are moving and, and um, they've decided that they'll have their, the removers to pack them up, which I think is very wise. Because Stephen's job's very stressful and he would stress her out trying to get her. So that they're coming the day before to pack them up to, to, to move. And I said, how much is that then, dear? So she said, oh, it's 300 pounds. So I said, look, can I give you that for your, for your, for your house? She was so thrilled because money is her love language. It's not that she's short of 300 quid, because they're not. But the fact that I wanted to do that as a, as a moving present, so down the pan again went my, oh, excuse me, down the chute went my um, laptop, see? Because I'm sort of trying to save me little pennies. And I thought, oh, well, can't do it. Never mind, try again. Start, start with my pennies again. <laughs> and there it was. There it was. The Lord looks on the heart, doesn't he? So we enter by the low gate and we continue to progress by the low gate. Humility is how we enter the kingdom and remaining humble is how we progress in it. We make pilgrimage by the humble way and we must remember that we're God's extension called and God is the source of the power. What a lovely way to put it. I'm plugged into the socket and I'm just an extending, extending lead. <laughs> Paul said of myself I can do nothing. But he also said, I can do all things because Jesus is within me. We mustn't have confidence in ourselves in the mission that God has sent us on, but we must have confidence in him. We're not able, but he is. If we humble ourselves, God can do anything through us. He said to his disciples, didn't he, greater works shall you do than these. We're waiting to see that happen in the church. Greater works. So humility is a willingness to set your sail and let the wind of God's spirit set your destination for your life. All we do is set the sail and the wind of the spirit moves us to the destination. Humility is submitted strength. It takes guts to be humble. And if we won't humble ourselves, guess what? God will do it for us. Humility is not human weakness, it's supernatural strength. We are called to greatness. And it's in his power and in his strength that this greatness will display itself. And the only way to get there is humility. He will not share his glory with another. Doesn't change. He, either Lord changed not. Thank goodness he doesn't. I think those of you who were at the conference, us, the last pass in the battle, I was so grateful that God was unchanging when I went to bed one night last week. I said, Father, it is just such a sense of security to know that you have not changed the way you are towards me, whether I muff this thing or not. You absolutely have not. And that sent me to sleep in peace. Though, you know, I was treading a tight rope because, you know, we do have emotions. Uh, and I try to get mine under the control of the Holy Spirit, but sometimes I get annoyed with the way the body of Christ goes on, with the way that some parts of the body treat other parts of the body. And when I see someone being taken for a ride... I get angry. Uh, so I had to put a rein on it because I remember that anger was what tripped Moses up, wasn't it? So 
humility and meekness are actually submitted strength and the stronger you are the more that strength has got to come under the power of the Holy Spirit submitted strength and brokenness before the Lord and when we, as we'll see in the next one, Psalm 132, uh, when we pass the threshold of humbling ourselves, then God reorganizes our priorities and thoughts as he draws us into his inner chamber and begins to tell us the secrets of what's on his heart. And that will transform the way that you look at every situation when you start to see the way he looks at it. Because as I've said before, we don't have any enemies. People are not our enemies. We have one. One enemy, that's Satan himself and his lot. People are not. No matter how difficult they are towards us, they are not our enemies. So the only way to get where we want to go is humility so that his name and glory can be seen and when this happens we will be filled with joy unspeakable because we can then be used by the creator of heaven and earth to accomplish his purposes and that is what he is after the church is the manifold wisdom of God hello church we are meant to be his wisdom how do we get that? heart to heart leaning head to head with Jesus just often I do that in ministry I just put my head on the person you know forehead on the person there is just a something very intimate and close and just identifying with a person when you just lean your head against them he does that with us all the time head to head heart to heart looking again at the creation account and um, Derek Princeton is saying you know how God had to get down to breathe life into Adam because it's this dollop of clay he sees Adam as laying on the floor I've always seen him st stuck up like a doughboy you know and he goes Pah! I won't do that in the microphone might blow, blow. the uh, that exploding breath Absolutely incredible. And man became a living soul or nefesh. Nefesh. Hebrew word is nefesh. And you have to breathe in before you breathe out because that's what God did. He exploded into you so you always inhale before you exhale. Nefesh. Hebrew words are very... Um, Expressive, like the, the wind of God is ruach. Continuous, outgoing breath. Well, thank you for listening. God bless you. I hope that you're still all in one piece. Thank you so much. <laughs>